Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Get Advisor Fit. I'm your host, Olivia Looper from Lexicon Content Development. And my guest today is James Pollard, the founder of The Advisor Coach, a company that helps financial advisors grow their businesses and get more clients. He is also the host of his own podcast called Financial Advisor Marketing, which is on, you know, on all the major providers, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, it's actually pretty funny. I've listened to a few of them. Um, myself and um, I subscribe to James emails. James is somebody that I am excited to have on my show today because um, when I first started in the financial services niche, um, he was somebody that I turned to and learned a lot from. I mean, I have personally uh, purchased some of his products. Um, the, the dude knows what he's talking about. So I'm thrilled and honored to have you here today. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit introduction for, I mean, everybody knows who you are, but just, just in case. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you. I didn't know that you bought anything. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Um, you are too lift fit to quit. Ha ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my so I am James, just like you said, host of the Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast. I've been helping financial advisors for uh, the past several years. Despite my business being called The Advisor Coach, uh, it is now more or less a publishing model. I just put it out there. That's exactly what it is because uh, I've discovered that I can take my own marketing skills and use them within my businesses and different parts that the public doesn't even see. I would rather do that because the stuff that I talk about actually works. I'm not just saying, oh yeah, financial advisors, you should do this thing that has never been tried and nobody does. Uh, so it, it is cool to see that people take to that well. And I'm glad that they do. Um, I, I don't really stress out about making the podcast super professional and, because I don't need to. So yeah. whatever happens in this show, I'm sure it will be very good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, um, I personally enjoy the podcast because it isn't super professional and just, you know, no nonsense, get to the point. Um, so definitely have learned a lot from you over the years. Um, what's interesting, um, I think, you know, you mentioned when we first got on the phone that you were surprised that I wanted to have you on the show. And I'm not really sure why that is, but I'm glad that you're here. And um, I will say that, you know, sometimes... I get your emails or uh, read things that you write. And sometimes, you know, at first, at least on the surface, sometimes they seem that some of the, your advice seems like contrary to what would be promotional for my own business, such as financial advisors should do their own marketing or shouldn't outsource their own marketing. So I would like you perhaps to expand on that. Uh, maybe we could touch on, um, you know, what financial advisors get wrong about um, outsourcing. So outsourcing is a tricky subject. It's something that, it's one of the only subjects that I kind of sort of dance around because it's very hard to explain in an email. If I only have three or four or 500 words to capture someone's attention, um, it's difficult. It's very difficult because outsourcing is such a large topic. But I will tell you, when I tell financial advisors not to 
outsource their marketing. Here's what I'm really talking about. And since we're on a show, I can talk and explain. This is very helpful for both me and you and the advisors <laughs> listening. So there's a gentleman named Dr. Hal Gregerson, and he did a study um, with two of his colleagues where they analyzed more than 3,500 executives and 25 exceptional entrepreneurs, people like Jeff Bezos and billionaires who are actually really running successful businesses. So you have 3,500 executives, then 25 of the best entrepreneurs in the entire world. What they found was that at most most executives who are, are just drop-dead average, they don't feel responsible for the strategic part of marketing. They outsource it all. They're just like, yeah, you do this thing, you, you minion or peasant or whatever they're thinking in their yeah. mind. But the top entrepreneurs and the absolute top executives who are, who are crushing it compared to everyone else, they do not delegate the creative work. They, dele they delegate marketing tasks, things that can be repeatable, things that can be executed, but they do not delegate the creative work. Does that mean that people should not hire creative people? Absolutely not. It means that the financial advisor, if they are like these top executives, if they're running a big business or they aspire to run a big successful business, whatever that means for them, is that in their mind, they need to make a decision. Wow, I should have... X and whatever X is, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog, whether it is uh, social media initiatives, they need to come to that conclusion because when they come to that conclusion, it means that it will fit within the context of their business. These people are, they're creating a puzzle. The business is the puzzle. The executive, the financial advisor, the solopreneur, the business owner is the person who is putting the puzzle piece in place, but it is up to the executive to make sure that the puzzle piece fits. The puzzle piece could be someone like you. It is it's incredibly important for financial advisors to, uh, if it makes sense within their business, to hire someone who is skilled at whatever task they need, whatever puzzle piece they need, that piece needs to play its part well. And if someone comes to the independent conclusion that they need writing, they need content services, they need social media, whatever, they then they can hire that out. But they should not just what, one of the things that I say in one of my programs is that people should never outsource the marketing reins. What I mean is when you say, hey, you decide everything that I'm going to do with my business, they give the responsibility to someone else. That is a mistake because the other person, whether it be a marketing assistant, whether it be a marketing manager, whether it be an agency, they do not know every little nook and cranny, every goal that you have for the business. So at the end of the day, the decision has to be you. But it is absolutely fine to delegate the marketing task as you see fit, but you cannot delegate the creative thinking. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And there's two points that I wanted to, to talk about on that is um, something interesting happened personally. Um, I knew that this time of the year was going to be exceptionally busy for me in my business. So I played around with the idea of having somebody else create some digital assets for me and manage my social media. And the woman who I respect, um, you know, immensely, she runs a great marketing business. She deals a lot here in South Florida with um, restaurants, uh, restaurant business owners, and, you know, sort of takes a piece over for them, um, creates, you know, goes in, takes pictures of the food, all that stuff, sets up the website so it's optimized for people ordering and things like this. She said... I would not feel comfortable doing that because your 
marketing is so specific to who you are. It is so personalized by you that I do not think that my company could do Lexicon any justice in what you've already put out. And this is also something that I've been talking to advisors about recently is uh, there's gotta, I mean, there's gotta be personalization these days in, in your marketing approach, whether it's your emails or your digital assets uh, that you put on social media, it's got to speak about who you are. And I mean, even as somebody who myself, who is sometimes that puzzle piece, there is like a, a two way street. I mean, I can't make, I can't put a square peg in a round hole either. So I can't, uh, if you want some sort of results from the things that I'm making for you or the things that I'm writing for you, it's going to take collaboration between the two of us to personalize it to you and your firm to actually make it work because nobody gives a crap about cookie cutter stuff, right? We, we just see right through it. We see right past it. Um, it's basically a waste of your money and your time. And so I think that some, some advisors are surprised to find when they do work with me that there's like some participation on their end that is required because uh like yeah sure i mean all day i could here sit here and just make you some really boring assets to put on your social media and i mean technically i could give you this deliverable but it's gonna suck compared to something that's personalized and that personalization takes collaboration between that person and myself well people have this so pipe dream of being able to hand everything off to someone. And just like you said, have that person come back with something incredible. And a lot of people have bought into this myth that a successful entrepreneur, and I like the e-myth by Michael Gerber as much as the next person, but there are some people who treat that darn thing like it's their Bible. They will say, oh, I need to work on my business instead of in my business. No, you need to do both. Uh, would you make fun of LeBron James for still playing basketball? Oh, well, he's still working a job. He's still working in basketball. He's not working on basketball. Like, no, he's playing the game. He's getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars because he has, he has scaled this up. It, people are like, I want to work four hours a week, or I want to work zero hours a week or whatever. But would you rather just work a little bit more and make a hundred times the money or not work as much? and make what you're making now. It, it, it really does come down to that because the quality of work that someone like you can put out, it's magnified when the advisor helps you. And that's exactly what I'm talking about is that you can't outsource the marketing range. They still have to be part of the process. They still have to help you create a killer product. So advisors, if you're listening to my voice right now, please, please don't buy into the pipe dream that you could just walk away. People have, I guess they have this belief or this complex that they can read other people's minds and they think that you know exactly what they want all the time without working with you directly. And it's sad, but it happens all the time. I'm sure it does. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it's funny because the advisors who have who want the least involvement are the ones that typically are looking for like the, the most outrageous home run results. They're like, well, why isn't what we're doing working? And I'm like, well, first of all, because you haven't done any of the things that I've asked you to, to help me create this product that speaks about who you are. I'm just over here trying to do my best based on your lack of involvement. Um, and then the, the ones who 
are like, you know, super participatory, um, obviously they're going to see um, higher conversion and engagement rates on any of the stuff that we put out. So it's just interesting to see how that works. But I think um, also some, one of the, I mean, you we talk about outsourcing, don't outsource the marketing reins. I think that some people um, believe that content marketing is capital M marketing, and it's most certainly not. It's a sub niche of capital M marketing. So I always try to explain that, that I am in content marketing, which is using, you know, written or digital or written or, you know, social media content through email, through social media, uh, landing pages, um, these types of things to collect digital leads and then nurture those digital leads and to eventually book a call and become clients. I'm not, you know, that capital M marketing reigns. So, you know, that's something too, that I think advisors misunderstand a lot. And um, I know that's something that you've touched upon before um, the myths financial advisors believe about content marketing. And for example, you said something about, um, writing for short attention spans and uh, oh, that's the worst. I'd be interested in uh, you expanding on that. That's the worst. The writing for short attention spans, it's, it's such a terrible, terrible idea because if you write for short attention spans, you have given up your ability to filter out the people that you probably don't want to work with. And if you're active on Facebook, you probably see Facebook ads all the time because that's what keeps them in business. And you've probably come across a Facebook ad that is really, really, really long. And you've probably seen people comment on it too long, didn't read, didn't want to read this. My goodness, why is this ad so long? Felt like I was reading a book, so on and so forth. If Now you have to break this down. The business owner who is running the ad knows that people will complain for sure. It is a given. And if the person didn't know, now they know because they have evidence. So why would they keep doing it? It's because they want to filter out the people who (laughs) will not be a good fit, will not be a good client. If there is a ton of content, and you'll see, I'm not just saying this to sound cool. Over at my blog, for example, a lot of the articles are fairly long. They tend to be 2,000 plus words. And some people will be superficial and they say, oh, you just write 2,000 plus word articles because that's what ranks number one on Google. Yes and no, not really. Yes, the average on the first page of Google is 2,300 words. Yes. But the real reason, the reason that people don't consider is because I have an email opt-in at the bottom of every blog. And the quality of subscriber that I get compared to someone else who has a 500-word blog, it's infinitely higher. And it, it allows me to look at my numbers and be far more accurate than other people. And to bring this down to financial advisor terms, One of the pieces of advice that I'm going to give uh, to financial advisors in my world at the end of the year is to get rid of the people who have had meetings with you in the past, but haven't committed, or they haven't given you a hard no, like, no, I do not want to hire you. Just get rid of them. I mean, get a final answer and then move on. The reason I want them to do that is because if they look at their CRM and they see that they have 115 people who are on the fence it's not necessarily accurate because there's a huge percentage of people who are just not going to do business with you. Once you flush those people out, and let's say that you're left with 10 people, that's far more accurate because you have 10 people who are 
almost certainly going to end up doing be uh, clients of yours or to do business with you. I would rather have that number and know that these people are serious and know that they're likely to move forward than to fool myself into thinking that I have something that I really don't have. I would rather have a smaller email list that shocks a lot of people of more quali- of qualified people who are reading, who are engaging, who are coming back to the website, who are listening to the podcast. I would rather have that than a massive email list of people who don't really engage any day of the week. And content is just a filtering mechanism that you can use within your business. And if you have short, itty bitty, 250 word, 500 word pieces of content, like on a blog, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice because you are giving up that opportunity to filter people. I love that. Actually, um, I'm glad that you you closed on that note because I was going to say filter is the key word here. And this is another thing that I've been trying to drive home with advisors, which I'm sure you understand, which is by personalizing, the, the more you personalize the content that you're putting out, the easier it is for people to decide if they like you or not right at, at first. I mean, and filter themselves out. So it saves you a lot of time. It saves you a lot of energy. If you're just clear about who you are, this is who we are. This is what we do. If you don't like us, don't call us because neither of us are going to want to talk to each other anyways. And I feel like that's something that's really underrated because advisors are so worried about cutting people out or, um, you know, it's like the whole, that whole anti-niche argument, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm afraid that I'm leaving this whole demographic out of potential clients. Well, the thing is, you probably, and the same thing that you're talking about with the email list, the long content filters out the people you don't want anyways. So you're helping yourself by getting a more accurate representation, an email list of people that actually might want to work with you rather than just a bunch of people that filler people. Um, and, And then you can really focus on nurturing those leads and actually turning them into clients and rather than having this whole big list that's of people that you don't actually have any idea if they're going to work with you or not. So when you are recommending to um, advisors that they do this, you're just saying that they go in and they basically clean out their their leads list for the end of the year? Yeah. Well, if they have a huge list and they have been general and they haven't really been involved in my world that, that long, then sure. If someone has been in my world for quite a couple months, even, uh, I was going to say like quite a long time, but not even that. People really need to get with the program. Um, what ends up happening is that financial advisors get ultra specific and they filter on the front end. So what I'm talking about is filtering on the back end, meaning you have that list of 115 people that I'm talking about. You messed up along the way. They're not super specific. They're in your CRM for some reason. You have to get rid of them. Once you get rid of them, you should really start focusing on filtering in the front end. And let me explain what I mean and why this is so helpful. So a few months ago, I ran a little campaign in my own business, uh, essentially trying to get people to pay me to review their ads. And it did fairly well. I thought I, if I liked it, I would continue it but I didn't like it that much because it reminded me too much of just coaching. And I, if you're doing four or five of these a day, they're just back-to-back hour-long calls. And my voice is, it starts cracking and I get like laryngitis from talking the whole time. Uh, but anyway, the reason I bring that up is because I remember one financial advisor in particular who worked with teachers. And I think it was either New York or New Jersey. And he was running Facebook ads. And the to an uninitiated financial advisor, 
who is scared of alienating clients and they have this fear that niching down is a bad thing, this is going to terrify them. So he's working with teachers. I tell him to get even more specific because there apparently there were people in New Jersey or New York, whatever it was, who were also targeting teachers. And since Facebook is based on an auction model, if there are multiple people bidding for the same audience, uh, that means you're going to pay more. So his costs were going up. I said, look, we're going to solve that and I'm going to pay for myself in no time. And here's how I'm going to do it. You are going to, you're going to sub niche teachers. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, you're going to take teachers and you are going to target teachers who are age uh, 28 and under. He's like, wow, why? I said, because I just Googled the average age of first year teachers and found that it was 27 or 28. And you're going to get that cut off and you're going to get everyone who's younger. And you're going to say, are you finally adulting? Are you starting your career as a teacher? Um, you can't call people out on Facebook. So you can't really, it has to be said a little bit more delicately than that. Like we help first year teachers. We help new teachers, X, Y, Z. That's how you have to say it. But the ad was centered around that. I said, next, you're going to run another ad with teachers who are parents of teenage children or younger. And at the time, I don't know if you can still do that targeting in Facebook uh, because they have a lot of changes since then. But at the time you could do that. And that was all about college planning. The ad was essentially, you love, ch you love children, you teach kids, whatever, you should plan for your own kids. So there's a sub niche there. Then we looked up the average age of retirement for teachers, and it turns out it's 59. So uh, we ran an ad with teachers around that age. We say, you know, we help teachers who are retiring soon. So if teaching wasn't niche enough, we branched it out even more. Competition is now irrelevant. It doesn't matter what the competition is doing because we have sub-niched the heck out of this. And what's even better, not only did the cost go down, but the conversions went way up because you're speaking to a very specific person. If you're showing an ad to someone who is a teacher in the state of New Jersey, who is 28 years old, and your ad is about helping new teachers, well, guess what? The statistics show that that person is probably going to be a new teacher. And yeah. it works. I mean, I don't even know what else to add. It just works. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, the more targeted that you can make your, your approach. Well, be careful. Retargeting has been going away for a long time. The, that's another reason why people have to be more specific. And they really should seek out someone like you because these services, just like I said, the retargeting, if people are talking about that now, they are way behind. And it is it's scary to see people talking about retargeting. Cookie, Google has announced that cookies were going away years ago. Safari's already gotten rid of cookies. So has Firefox. Um, people are opting out. Apple has male privacy protection now. The pixels are just not accurate. So when you have a world where you can't retarget people, because retargeting was, it was like the nectar uh, yeah, of the that gods. Was like, it was like in the bag. Oh, retarget. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was incredible from 2000, I don't even know when it was introduced, 2014, whatever, I don't know, 2014 to like 2019 when cookies started getting phased out, it was laid down, easy win, easy money, easy appointments. And you could you could have a crappy front end ad and just retarget people and you would still do well. Well, now that that's taken away, your ads at the front end, your content at the front end, your social media at the front end has to be good. And if you you don't know what to look for and you don't know what questions asked, then you really should hire someone. Uh, if you're a financial advisor, you really should hire someone to do that. To yeah. Do I mean, the front end for you. There's certainly an art and a science to it. I mean, it's not to just uh, and you can tell. I mean, everybody can tell you. Can, you can tell yourself when you're on Facebook and you get ads that are just 
I don't want to say like DIY ads, like they don't follow any of the best practices. And you're like, that was a crappy ad. They're wasting their money, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's easy to tell. It's easy to see through us. I mean, it's definitely worth, I mean, and because social media ads are so cheap as it is, you might as well pay someone to help you do them the right way. I mean, I mean, they can get expensive, but um, for the most part, it's really not that much for ad spend. But so you, James, you build your business a lot. Um, uh, it seems at least from the outside looking in a lot uh, comes from your daily emails. But advisors are so worried They're Oh, my gosh, Olivia, how much is too much, especially advisors who are just coming on and just kind of like upping their ante in the in their email marketing. They get nervous that they're going to upset people or their clients are going to get mad that they're emailing too much or that we should phase it in instead of just, you know, rushing all in. And what, what, what do you what is your advice here for a financial advisor? I mean, I tried to convince them that, you know, this is just the way the world is these days. Um, but sometimes it falls on deaf ears. So what would you say if you were in my position? Well, the data shows that daily email works better than anything else. If financial advisors choose not to listen to the data, then that is okay. <laughs> um, that's fine with me. I, I used to get upset with this. Um, it is interesting because just like you said, where financial advisors feel as if they're going to scare people off, it would be almost more frustrating to me. Maybe this is just a mindset shift that I hate to use the word like mindset shift because it's cheesy when most people use it, but it really is true. They need to shift their thinking from, I would be upset if I didn't get daily emails. If there was a problem that I had, I would want the thing solved. It is interesting how I don't even know how to explain it. I'm going to try to be as gentle as I can with this. Okay. So one of the people that I study used to work in the prostate niche. He used to develop products and supplements for people who have prostate pain. These people don't want to wait, wait a month to get the next email about how to make their pain a little bit better. They don't want to wait a week for the next food that they should eat to reduce the swelling in their prostate. I know that may sound a little gross, but it really is a pain point. And yeah. it's similar to the pain point that people have around their finances, whether it's budgeting, whether it's investing, and it's more or less a sense of urgency that it's important for you to reach out to your clients, that it's important to you, or I should say prospective clients, because personally, I do not recommend that financial advisors email their clients every single day. I recommend that they have some way to add people to an email list or to have people opt into an email list, I should say. And they get daily emails from that point on until they set an appointment. The obstacle that people have in their heads when I deal with them is, well, when should I stop? Do I have to write emails every day? No, you don't. You need, the data says it's between five and 12 emails in an autoresponder sequence that goes out in a predetermined manner in the order you choose every single day until someone sets an appointment. So really all you need to do is get five to 12 of these emails and put them in an autoresponder sequence. The beauty behind it and the way that you can become untouchable, where people literally, they cannot knock you off, they cannot copy, they cannot reiterate your success, is when you are constantly split testing. You are constantly changing things. Because if you only have five emails, that's five tests, five subject line tests. That's all you need. And if you do that for a month and you get a winner, then you test again, and then you test again, and you test again. Eventually, you will have a campaign that is so powerful 
that you will want to put all your resources into it. Uh, that's another mistake, in my opinion. You should have multiple marketing strategies, but you will be tempted to do so. Yeah. So email is a beautiful thing. If people at this point, I'm I'm over it. If people don't either don't believe it or don't want to do it, it's cool. Yeah, I know. I mean, to, to some extent, but so would you say, would you recommend just, I mean, obviously, yes, we want them to segment their lists so that we're not sending all of these new emails to their existing clients. Um, so you're talking about, we just put them on the, on the autoresponder, um, the, the new prospects who will go there. So for the other marketing materials that they're sending out, that they're going to send to their existing clients, do you think that they should phase them in or just start the cadence and where they're going to start it and just continue on that way? I think that since they're already clients, you don't have to go as hard. You're not trying to get a commitment. So Gary Halbert, who I consider to be the greatest copywriter ever, said that most people make buying decisions like porcupines in heat. And porcupines in heat, they're only in heat for about eight hours every single year. So during that window, they are doing whatever it takes to find a mate. And once they find a mate or once the eight hours is over, they could not care less about finding a mate. So if a prospective client is on your website and they opt into an email list, they are at, you know, two things, you know, number one, they weren't convinced enough to set an appointment with you on your website. That is a for sure thing. However, they did like you enough to stay involved in your world. So they are in heat. Your clients are no longer in heat. <laughs> it's goofy how I'm describing this, but- No, no, it, it I totally way. get it. Yeah, it, it's just the way it is. Uh, I think if you're going to send your clients an email, send it every month, send it every week. It really doesn't matter that much. I, I don't think that clients necessarily would need daily emails. And I think that your resources should be put elsewhere. It's like client events, appreciation events, holiday cards, stuff like that. But if your clients get back to you in a survey or something and they say, yeah, I wouldn't mind weekly emails. And that's something that you genuinely want to do. And you believe, and you have the data, I should say, you not believe, but you have the data that it will increase your retention. Sure. Go for it. Yeah. I personally like receiving my weekly email from my advisor. I look forward to it. I get it every Friday. And, um, but you know, I could be biased because- I write advisor emails for a living. So <laughs> maybe that's why I like to read it. But eh, neither here nor there. I'm just glad that you said the word holiday cards because that has been coming a lot, a lot for my advisors. And as uh, they've been asking, and I'm, you know, I'm curious about your opinion. Do you, do you champion paper cards or over e-cards? And should uh, holiday cards be used for anything else besides sending holiday greetings, such as asking for a referral. I love holiday cards. I love the websites, the services that print the cards for you in bulk as if they are handwritten. Um, I am a champion of handwritten cards. I used to write them out myself. I have a bunch in the storage room that's like two walls passed over here that uh, are left over from previous years before I discovered that there are services that will do this for you. Uh, when you get to a point where you want to send holiday cards out to three or 400 people, at least minimum, uh, like I do every single year, I, I'm probably going to have 500 plus this year that I'm sending out. Um, it, it just isn't feasible to write them out by hand. And it's much easier for me to upload what I want to say, 
or to individualize them. I can still do, do that with these services and send them out that way. I don't have to write them. They handle the mailing, they handle the postage, they handle everything. I pay one bill. I don't have to separate anything. So I really do like that. As far as using them for anything else, I don't want to give too much away because this is going to be stuff that people pay for. But there is <laughs> there is a way to use holiday cards where in the PS of your holiday card, there's something that you say that gets people to either, these are the people that I'm talking about who are on the fence, who haven't said yes, or and they haven't said no. There's a certain thing that you want to put in the PS of your holiday card to get these people to respond. I'm not going to give away what it is, but if financial advisors want to try and they want to guess, um, feel free to do so. But that is the way that we are using. If they want to guess, if you want to guess, knock yourself out. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to try, but that's, that's the purpose. I'm going to give you the, the, purpose. I'm not going to give you the how. The purpose of a holiday card is to say, hey, you're super awesome. This was great. Uh, I hope you're doing well with your son's soccer season. I hope your son enjoys soccer season. Whatever little tidbit that you have from your meeting earlier that year, where they explain something that they like, uh, a husband and wife said that they're going on a cruise. In the card, you say, hey, I hope you had a great time on your cruise. Like, P.S., something, 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 you know, get back to me. If you would like to become a client, if not, that's okay. Just, I want a yes or a no. So I can have those accurate numbers. Like I discussed earlier. Awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even know that there were services that would handle the shipping for you of the cards. So I like- I'll, t- I'll just tell you what it is. So one of, one of them that I really, really like is called handwritten.com and it's H A N D W R Y not I, Y as in, yes, I want to send you a card, Y-T-T-E-N, so handwritten.com. And what is really cool is that you can upload your own design, meaning you don't have to go with the standard happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, whatever. You can have your own uh, card and it could be your logo. It could be um, your brand colors, whatever you want. You can upload it. And you can use something like Canva. You can get a designer to do it. Olivia can do it. And you you can take this and you can upload it. Personally, I like to do something funny. So my holiday cards in the past have been bears and bulls fighting. So I would send that to a financial advisor. It's really funny. They have like a a candy cane and they're like sword fighting. It's like a Star Wars thing uh, or fighting with lightsabers. So you have a bull on one side and a bear. And then the background is the stock market charts. So they love that. And they, awesome. they comment on it and they respond. They're like, oh my goodness, I've loved your card. Like, where did this design come from? We created it. So um, that, that would be the way to do it is to have a service like that. And sometimes they give you bulk discounts. I, I'm going to be paying attention for Black Friday this year because if they do a 25% off coupon, you have to figure, let's say that each card is about $4 or so. So if I'm sending, let's say 550, that's $2,200. If they give me a 25% off coupon because I'm mailing in bulk and plus they have some deal or whatever, the cost now is 1650. So it's, it's decent to look around and to stay on top of these things. But yeah, that's the service that I personally love. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's definitely a, a, a what's uh, what I forgot to mention this. So handwritten also has a service, and this is an additional charge on top of the gift card, but they have the ability to include gift cards within the cards as well. 
So one of the things that I recommend financial advisors to do, and I've done this for uh, inner circle members, and I've sent some stuff to them, like personally from, from me, is they offer Starbucks gift card and it's $5, $10. You can do different denominations, but within your thank you card, within your just following up card or whatever, or happy holiday card, you can say, PS, enjoy a cup of coffee on me. And they will do all of the fulfillment you pay one time and it's done. So that's a powerful strategy as well. well, What if you don't want to, then you have to send it to everybody or you can decide. You can decide who gets in and who doesn't. Oh, so then what do you upload, upload all the addresses into their website? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep. Well, James, thank you so much for your time today. I absolutely loved having you on. If you'd like to learn more about James Pollard and the Advisor Coach and all of his great products, you can visit him at theadvisorcoach.com or look at look for him, James Pollard, on LinkedIn. Um, he's super active. Um always putting out good information. You definitely need to at least follow him on social media. Um, If nothing else, if you'd like to learn more about my business, please visit lexiconcontentdevelopment.com or connect with us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. To hear past episodes, visit the Get Advisor Fit tab on our website. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to get all the latest tips from the greatest financial service industry experts around. Thanks for listening to Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper. To learn more about Olivia and how her firm, Lexicon Content Development, can help you, visit lexiconcontentdevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.